0: Hello, and welcome to How to Get Unstuck with Helen Thomas, the podcast that explores how and why you might be feeling stuck in your life, career, or business and what to do about it. I'm your host, Helen Thomas, a career and business coach who supports professionals and business owners to think differently about what's possible, get unstuck, and create a meaningful and successful working life they love. I've been stuck, and I realized it's a common experience that can turn up in your life, your career, your relationships, personal growth, or many other places often when you least expect it. But I want you to know this, being stuck isn't a permanent condition, it's a feeling and it can be changed. Join me each week as I speak with experts about their experiences with feeling stuck and the practical strategies they recommend to help you break free from uncertainty so you can get unstuck and create your unstoppable momentum. And now for today's episode. Hello and welcome to this episode of How to Get Unstuck. I'm your host, Helen Thomas, and I'm so looking forward to my conversation with today's guest. Mel Kettle is not just an accomplished leadership communication consultant and an internationally recognized thought leader, but also a food-loving, book-reading beach enthusiast who calls the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, Australia her home, Lucky Belle. Mel is a trusted mentor to executives and leaders, a highly sought after speaker, and a trainer specializing in leadership communication. Her clients include leaders, teams, and organizations that want to achieve real connection and sustained engagement. Mel's impact on the leadership landscape has been acknowledged twice in 2022 and 2023 by Leaders Hum placing her among the top 200 biggest voices in leadership. And she's the author of two influential books, The Best Selling, Fully Connected, and The Social Association. Mel is an advocate for raising greater awareness about the impact of menopause in the workplace. And at the heart of everything she does is a commitment to self-leadership and the necessity of setting healthy boundaries. Mel believes we need boundaries to be healthy, happy, and to live the life we want. Mel claims to have felt stuck so many times, likewise, (laughs) from experiencing momentary writer's block to making big life decisions about where to live and changing jobs. And what she's figured out is that getting unstuck starts by taking action, even just a small step like going out for a walk or listening to some music. Mel has designed her Thriving Leaders and Connected Leaders programs to help people move from stuck to thriving by showing them how to create, communicate and maintain healthy boundaries. Mel and I met just a few months ago at a business retreat in Port Douglas, finding ourselves with a few hours to kill on the final day. We wandered the local markets, drank juice and uncovered our shared life experiences. The conversation that commenced that day continues. I always look forward to our chats because Mel is so very generous in sharing her insights and practical wisdom. I can't wait for you to hear from her. Mel Kettle, welcome to How to Get Unstuck.
1: Oh, thanks so much Helen. It's so good to be here. And that afternoon in Port Douglas or that day in Port Douglas, I can guarantee I wouldn't have been drinking juice. I would have been mainlining caffeine because I had a killer hangover.
0: (laughs) I think we might have had iced coffees. Well I think I might have had an iced
1: coffee. (laughs) You might have had an iced coffee. I'm pretty sure I would have had the strongest long black I could find.
0: Possibly. So Mel, you say that you've been stuck many times. So I'm curious to know about when this happens. So what is or was or other types of situations that turn up for you and where you find yourself feeling stuck? I've been stuck,
1: as you said in my intro so many times, and there's times in my life where I've had fairly big and significant periods of feeling really stuck and there's times, like this morning, where I've had small periods of time feeling stuck, like when I've had a bit of writer's block. Um, and I feel like there's this continuum of stuckness in our lives. And there's definitely things that we can do to move through them to become unstuck. But it depends on um, how significant is the stuckness and how big is it. That depends, that that impacts on the decisions that you make and the changes that you make. So, you know, this morning when I was, um I went to a writing session, the Queensland Writers Centre runs a half day, a free writing catch up session at the Sunshine Coast at the Maroochydore Library. My friend Jo runs it and she said to me, come along. Um, so I've been a few times and this morning when I went, I, as soon as I walked in the room, I thought I should not be here. For context, it's the 15th of December. It's my last day of work and my brain is fried. I've had a huge month and my ability to string a coherent sentence together was not coming to me and I'm sure you'll witness that over the next half an hour when I stumble <laughs> maybe over from a, Maybe my words. from us <laughs> both. <laughs> so I rock up to this session and I thought, and I have to say, Joe said last time we'll have Christmas you know, cakes. And I went, oh, I'm turning up for the cake. <laughs> I think I wrote about 300 words in three hours. And I spent a lot of time looking at Facebook, looking at LinkedIn, doing my to-do list for next year and not very effective. But I turned up and I did write one newsletter post. So I was happy. If it hadn't been for the group accountability, I probably would not have stayed for the entire time. Uh, so that was just a small little stuck. At, at times when I've been stuck more significantly have been, you know, just in life in general. I was really stuck when I was living in Sydney in my late 20s. And now I look back, I realise that I was going through fairly significant burnout. And I just felt like every day was Groundhog Day. Um, to get unstuck from that over a period of about 48 hours I quit my job, ditched my boyfriend, cut my hair off and decided to move from Sydney to Brisbane. So, I don't necessarily recommend doing all those big things in one hit if you're feeling stuck, but, you know, significant changes can be a great way to get unstuck.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting isn't it that that feeling of groundhog day, it is often how it presents or sort of manifests that stuckness, but often people don't necessarily recognize it as stuck at that time. It's just, I mean, you know, there are other words, I guess people use trapped or drifting or, you know, some sort of inertia, I guess they're all related. So when, when that big stuff was happening to you, how was it impacting your life at the time? So
1: I actually didn't realize that I was stuck until I took three weeks off work for Christmas and, um i was running conferences and events and just we had we had so much work going on it was ridiculous my team of six people which included me ran 300 events in 12 months and so it it was really difficult to take time to think about what I was doing, where I was going. I had no time for reflection. I had no time to review. It was just one event's done, move on to the next one. And quite often I was juggling, you know, five, six, seven, ten 10 events at a time. And so it was just go, go, go. And it wasn't until I stopped work, probably around the 15th of December, um, and took three weeks off that I realized I was deeply unhappy. I felt like I was in a rut. The guy that I was dating was just so bad for me on so many levels. You know, he wasn't a bad guy. He was a great guy, but we were just wrong for each other. And I hated living in Sydney. I was not earning enough money to live the lifestyle that came even close to what I wanted. Um, The majority of my income went to pay my rent. And I was just, I was deeply unhappy. I was also suffering from huge stress which was showing up in the form of huge blood, really high blood pressure, chest pains. I was 29. It's not normal to have chest pains when you're 29. I was drinking a lot of alcohol. I was drinking a lot of coffee. I was eating a lot of takeaway, and I was getting very little sleep. So three weeks of not having to be anywhere or go anywhere, I didn't even consciously think about what I was going to do next. It was all my subconscious working in overtime, and my first day back in the office after my break, I walked in to see my boss. We were the first two people there, and as was fairly standard. And um, he said to me, hey, Mel, how was your break? And my first words apparently were, I quit. And he looked at me and said, what? <laughs> and I said, oh. And he said, did you mean that? You've just said you quit. And I went, didn't expect to say it, hadn't even thought about it. But the words involuntarily popped out of my mouth. So, yes, yes, I do mean it. And I instantly felt this weight just lift off me and I felt yeah. lighter and happier than I'd been in a really long time. So, yeah. um, it and so that went a very long way to helping me become unstuck. And so he yeah. said to me, well, what do you want to, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? And I said, I have no idea. I will need to get another job. I have like, I had a lot of savings, which was good because, um, even though a huge amount of my income went to pay my rent, I didn't spend money on anything else because I was working 80 hours a week and had no time to do any, to go anywhere or to go shopping or anything. Um, and so I had some savings. So I said, well, let's just work out what me leaving looks like. I don't want to leave you in the lurch. I can wait till we find a replacement. and I can you know do a really solid handover because it was a really you know that we were looking after an important client and I didn't want to leave anybody in the lurch good old people pleasing tactics there no boundaries (laughs) we'll talk about that later um and and so and also I was turning 30 six weeks after we had the I resign conversation and I wanted to stay in Sydney for my thirtieth. So. Uh, within a day or two of this conversation, I realised that I would leave Sydney. And so we just mapped out a plan. And and once I knew that I was leaving this job, leaving Sydney, moving to Brisbane, uh, I had a really good friend in Brisbane who'd said to me, you can come and stay as long as you need to. I started looking for work in Brisbane, but I really didn't care if I got a job or when I got a job. I knew I had enough money to last me for about three months of not working. And it was just... It, moving to Brisbane was one of the best things I've ever done. It gave me a sense of freedom that I have very rarely felt. Um, and it gave me this sense of freedom because I had one friend in Brisbane. I had two other really good friends who had lived in Brisbane, who I'd visited, and I had an, an aunt in Brisbane who I saw periodically, but no one knew me. And so it was a really beautiful time of reinvention Who did I want to be? Who did I want to be seen as? What did I want to be known for? Yeah, it was really liberating.
0: Yeah, I can, and I can imagine that. I It's actually very similar to my story of moving back from the UK after I'd lived in England for 12 years and I literally just one day was like, right, that's what I'm going to do. I think I know a lot of people feel stuck in this place though because those sorts of big changes all at once can feel a bit overwhelming. They can feel scary or risky or it's not just them involved, there are other people that rely on them. So in your work now, you support people who, or leaders who are suffering from exhaustion and overwhelm and burnout. So all of those things that you experienced, I guess that I've experienced too, where that often lead people to feeling stuck. So you, you your work actually helps them to, I guess, get unstuck and start thriving. So what do you think are the main causes of leaders kind of really ending up in this place? Because it does happen to people who are, you know, hardworking, ambitious, etc., and you know may often think that they can work their way out of it. But what what else do you see in in the people, and particularly the women that come into your world? It's
1: really hard to. It's it, it takes a really brave person to go from a big job to something else. That's not another big job. And there's a lot of self-doubt and there's a lot of, oh, my God, what are other people going to think of me from making that decision? One of the things that I've learned is none of those opinions should matter and the only opinion that should matter is yours and, you know, maybe your partner. That's about it. Um, if you're in a good relationship that's healthy. My husband, as you know, used to be a management accountant and he had big jobs. And about seven years ago, decided that it was just too stressful. He was unhappy. I was unhappy. Our relationship was unhappy because we were both stressed. And he was way more stressed than me, but he never told me. So, you know, there's a whole lot of issues when it comes to internalising the bad stuff that's happening, which so many people do, men and women. And so he was in between contracts and he said to me, I'm just going to apply for some other jobs. And I went, great. Like what? And he said, oh, you know, at Bunnings, driving trucks. (laughs) Apparently my face was the funniest thing he'd seen in a very long time when he saw my expression. (laughs) But, you know, I was supportive and said, that's fantastic. Do whatever you feel like you need to do. And so he got a job at Coles, not far from us in Brisbane, driving, delivering groceries. And he, it pushed him a long way out of his comfort zone because it was something that he'd never done. But within about a week or two, he loved it. And it was really The differences in him, the positive differences in him were so apparent, not just to me, but to so many other people in our lives. He was happier. He was healthier. He was talking a lot more. Probably about three months after he started that job, we had our family Christmas. My brother rang me the next day and said, what's happened to Sean? I've never heard him talk so much. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the difference was profound. What was really interesting though, and he's been there, he's been there for seven years now, and he did go back to working as an accountant for a short period, realized that the stress wasn't worth it, went back to Coles. And what's really interesting is when people say to me, what do you, what do you do? And I tell them, and they're like, what what about your husband? And I went, Oh yeah, he works at Coles. Like, oh, what in a senior executive position? I'm like, no, he was delivering groceries and now he just works at Coles, our local Coles restocking shelves, talking to customers, doing this shopping for people that have online delivery orders. And the looks on people's faces are just, there's a lot of judgment, let me say. And so when my clients come to me and say, I would love to do what your husband does, I would love to have take a job that has less pressure, fewer hours, I don't care if it pays me less money, but I'm not, what will people think? I don't know how I can do it. Um, a big concern for a lot of people, and this was definitely a concern for us, is how will I afford my lifestyle? And so I reckon to, uh, this is a very long way of answering your question. One of the reasons that people don't okay. know how to get unstuck and make a major shift or change is because they live this lifestyle and they don't, that they believe they should be living, you know, with a big mortgage, with a big house, with public, with private school fees for their kids, with, you know, shopping, lots of shopping, so much shopping, fancy, expensive European holidays, um, expensive hobbies, you know, sailing, skiing, golf, other hobbies that triathlons that cost lots of money. And they're so tied up in the identity of the lifestyle and the job and the status that they don't think that they can step backwards. And so these are the people who often die of a heart attack at 50. But, you know, I'm here to tell you that if you're not happy, have a good hard look at why you're not and have a good hard look at what does success look like to you and what are your core priorities in life. And if it's your family, if it's your kids, if it's your pets, if it's, you know, doing things you love, then evaluate how much time are you spending How much energy are you putting in and how much attention are you placing onto these things?
0: Yeah, I so agree with that. And I think I often have said this even, well, to clients and to friends is that often if shopping is the thing, (laughs) because I know I did it, but shopping is that sort of clear sort of medicating, really, you know, when you're unhappy, you know, what do you do? You fill your time with the things that kind of make you feel better in the moment, um, yeah. and that often, and I often have that money conversation with people too about uh, this need to have more, be earning more, be getting more. And it's like, is it really adding to life? And mm-hmm. yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it that that sort of fear that we all have, and maybe it's a cultural thing, maybe it's a societal thing about what are other people going to think of us. You know, what is going to happen if we make this change? What will everybody else say? And it can be ourselves too, right? Because we've been kind of conditioned that way. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, if money is the thing that's stopping you, then have a look at what do you really need to spend? You know, we had not long after Sean and I bought our first house together with a mortgage that we could barely afford, he lost his job. And he got another job very quickly, thank goodness, it was before the GFC, um, but it paid a lot less. And so we just looked at our spending. We went through all of our credit cards. We went through um, what our mortgage was. We looked at all of the costs that we had and we worked out what's the absolute minimum amount of money that we need to live, um, you know, live a life. And it, it wasn't an uncomfortable life. It had a few little you know, luxuries in it. And I still said we still have to go out for dinner once a month. We don't have to go out twice a week, but once a month would be nice. And even if that's just, you know, takeaway fish and chips in the park as opposed to going to a restaurant, I don't care. And so we just worked out how much do we need. And it's amazing how much you don't spend or how much you don't really need of what you're spending. Um We also lived in a four-bedroom house between the two of us plus my stepson um, and I had an office because I was working for myself at that stage and so we had a guest room and I said if push comes to shove we can get a tenant we can get someone to move in and pay us you know 150 200 a week in rent which will you know add up over time and just make a big difference to that, that can make a big difference and so, fortunately, we didn't need to do that. But, you know, there's always ways you can save if you put your mind to it and and if you've got that big job. I mean, I know that there's a lot of Australians really struggling right now with the cost of living pressures and interest rate rises and mortgage and rent increases. Uh, but And I'm not referring to you when I say this, but if you're in a big job earning a few hundred thousand dollars a year and your partner's earning a few hundred thousand dollars a year, and you're deeply unhappy, have a think about why.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Ready to finally stop talking about fixing your career and actually start doing it? If you're a corporate professional, freelancer, or business owner feeling trapped or bored in your work and stuck figuring out what to do about it, you need the Fix Your Career Quiz. This two minute quiz shows you exactly where to start and the first steps you can take to create the career you really want. Head to fixyourcareer.com.au to uncover what's keeping you stuck and the steps you can take to kickstart your progress. So that leads us neatly to one of your favourite topics, which is boundaries. So what are the signs that we should be more aware of setting boundaries or that might indicate that we need to set better or healthier boundaries?
1: Yeah, the things that I have noticed, both in myself and in others, if you're feeling overworked, if you're feeling... Really stretched. If you're the go-to person for everything, you know, that expression, if you need something done, ask a busy person. It's normally because that busy person is a people pleaser who doesn't know the meaning of the word no. If you are feeling resentful because you believe that everybody else has a better life and you don't, if you don't like saying no when you're asked to do other things at work or if you're asked to go out every night of the week or You know, if you just don't like saying no, if you lend money and stuff to people and you never get it back or you don't get it back in a timely way and you resent that, they're all signs that you probably need to put some healthy boundaries in place.
0: So why do you think that... We collectively, um, including myself, because I ticked a few of those boxes that you just mentioned. (laughs) um, Why do you think we're so reluctant to, well, I guess firstly, set, but maybe the more important question is to keep those boundaries? So there's, they're two very different areas. I think one of the reasons that a lot of
1: women in particular don't like setting boundaries or don't know how to set boundaries or don't even know that they can um, is because as women we're so often brought up to serve others and to put ourselves last and so when you serve others you say yes to other people you go out of your way to you know prioritize every other person other than yourself and so that's one reason why I think a lot of people don't have healthy boundaries a lot of my clients I just, they need someone to give them permission to say no. They need someone to give them permission to resign from that volunteer committee that they're on. They need someone to give them permission to um, not do the thing that they don't want to do. And I find that really sad, but there's so many people, women especially, who are uncertain and who lack the confidence to say, to put themselves first and prioritise themselves. When it comes to keeping healthy boundaries, the number one reason that I believe people don't keep healthy boundaries is because they never communicate them. So it's one thing to set a boundary. It's another thing to tell people. So if you don't want to stay at work past 5 o'clock on a Wednesday because you've got a Pilates class at 5.30 and it's a 15-minute drive away, you're the one that needs to tell people that. So you need to be saying to whoever needs to know, particularly if it's people who ask you to always stay late, you know. say, so I can't stay late on Wednesdays anymore. I have to leave by 5 o'clock. I have a 5.30 Pilates class. If I don't go, it's going to cost me $30. So, you know, you shouldn't have to give a reason, but sometimes you do. Yeah. And if you're changing a behaviour then you do need to give a reason to help other people understand why you're no longer going to be their go-to person for whatever it is they want you to be doing.
0: Yeah. So again, I guess this is another th- another sort of area where sometimes it's uncomfortable to be communicating that and know communication is also your sort of specialty. So what are some kind of, I guess, nice or gentle or easy if there are such thing ways that we can you know, so we can communicate in such a way that we're not offending people. We're not, you know, the as you say, the people pleasers amongst us aren't going to suddenly feel a bit like, you know, I need to have a lie down. So what, what might, how might you go about that? So obviously it's situation dependent,
1: but one of my favourite expressions, one of my favourite ways to say no is to say, I'm really sorry, I don't have the capacity for that. I'm not able or or I'm really sorry if it's to go to a function or to do something I don't want to do, I just say, I'm really sorry, I'm not available. It sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for thinking of me. I'm not available. And you don't need to give a reason. Yeah. Like I always find when people give me long-winded reasons as to why they're not available to do something I want them to do, they're lying.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I often say and, that to my <laughs> to my husband yeah. actually. Say so don't give me the big long reason because I know you've just made that up. <laughs>
1: just say yes or no. I don't care. Just say yes or no. But yeah. I think the other thing um when it comes to saying I'm not available, you don't need a reason. Not wanting yeah. to do something is reason enough. So frequently I will say I'm not available because I just want to lie on the couch that night and watch the latest episode of The Crown. Or lie on the couch with a book and a glass of wine and not talk to anyone. Like, I was meant to go to Brisbane on the weekend to see some friends. I've just come back from an enormous amount of travel over the last few weeks. And they woke up on Wednesday and thought, I cannot have another night in a hotel room this year. I am done. And I thought, I'm just going to see how I feel about it tomorrow because, you know, I haven't had much sleep lately and I've had a lot of alcohol because it's been party party um, and travel. But... I woke up on Thursday morning and thought, I really do not want to go to Sydney or to Brisbane, sorry, on Sunday. And so I rang, I texted all of the friends I was supposed to see and said, I'm really sorry. I'm completely exhausted. I can't do another night away. I'm not coming. I'll see you in January or I'll see you. I had a friend from Adelaide who was coming and I said, I'm hopefully going to be in Adelaide next year. I've just pitched a speak at a conference in Adelaide Um I'll let you know. I'll see you there. Yeah. And everybody was understanding. And yeah. so just saying, I'm totally exhausted. I can't do anything else. People get that. People understand yeah. that.
0: Yeah. And do you think there's a bit about, you know, I guess there's that sense of, I don't want to let people down or I don't want to disappoint people. And sure, sometimes people will be disappointed, but often they're not, it's not as much or as bad, I guess, as you think it might be.
1: I'm disappointed because I really wanted to see particularly my Adelaide friend, but I yeah. know that I would be tired, not a good conversationalist and just generally poor company. And yeah. so sometimes you just have to draw a line in the sand. Um, That's an example of a personal thing. A lot of the people who I work with uh, find it really hard to establish And maintain healthy boundaries at work, particularly when they're getting loaded up with more and more and more work. So one of the things that I suggest, if you're one of those people who's just being asked to do more and more and more at work with, you know, no more people or resources to help you, go back to the person who's asking you to do the work, especially if it's your direct manager and say, that sounds great. As you know, I'm already working on this project and this project and this project or, you know, this thing and this thing and this thing. Um, can, can, can we prioritise what's really important because they're not all going to get done to the standard that I know you expect.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So how can I- we together prioritise?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a good point, too. I recall I had someone working for me, and of course, she was the best person I had. So I just kept giving her stuff to do, not even thinking for a moment. And of course, one day she finally said to me, Helen, I just can't take anything more. And that it was only at that point. So I often say to people, too, make sure you tell people, because this is the thing that's when you end up burnt out, right? Because you're just taking on more stuff, and you haven't actually at any point said, I don't have any I don't have any more capacity. Exactly what you've said. So I love that. Exactly. I think it's such a and, good tip for people.
1: And as a leader, we need to be better at recognizing when our people have hit capacity. Like yeah. we need to be it part of our job is to be mindful of what we're giving people to do and what our people are thinking and feeling. And yeah. so many leaders that I see Are really bad at that they don't they're so wrapped up in themselves that they forget that they actually need to be conscious of the people in their team and so the better you know your people the more you'll recognize a pattern change or a behavior change and when people are overloaded overworked overwhelmed and stuck their behaviors change yeah um and the if you are uh, asking the right questions, listening to the responses, observing their behaviours, then good leaders and good managers will recognise those changes and do something to prevent them from getting worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's such a good tip for leaders, right, is you should always be observant and understanding. I I, I agree. I think it's so, so very important. Now, I hope you don't mind if we switch topics a little bit because I did want to ask you about the M word. As I mentioned in the intro, you're an advocate for raising awareness on the impact of menopause in the workplace. And I know for me, I started experiencing perimenopause while I was still in my corporate job, and it was not something I ever spoke about or shared with anyone else, even people of a similar age group. Um, So I know it's a really big topic and we definitely don't have time to discuss it like in its totality, but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about, you know, why it's so important that we shine a light on this subject, particularly when it comes to workplaces.
1: So the data tells us that approximately 20% of the Australian workforce is currently undergoing perimenopause, which is women. In their 40s menopause is really just one day marks 12 months since we last had our period and the average australian woman that one day happens when they're 52 or 53. however there's this very lengthy period of time in the lead up to it called perimenopause and that can start when you were in our late 30s perimenopause is when our hormones start changing and when our hormones change a whole lot of really crappy things can be happening to our bodies and our brains we can have hot flushes. We can have night sweats. We can have, um, brain fog, short-term memory loss, dry skin, itchy skin. No one tells you about the itchy skin drives me crazy. I have itchy ears and apparently that's a, a menopause symptom. It is so irritating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally digressing. Um, but as, as, um, one of the reasons I'm so, so, enthusiastic about talking about it is because it's such a taboo topic. Typically, people just don't talk about it because it's, you know, air quotes, too embarrassing. Get over yourselves because it affects 50% of the population. Every single woman who turns 50 will go through perimenopause. So the more we can talk about it, the better. Um, it's a natural stage of life. You can't stop it. You can definitely do things to make it less horrific for you. A sixty percent of women say that their perimenopause symptoms have detrimental impact on their ability to do their job. And so why do you not want to support people going through that so they can do their job better? Yeah. The outcome for your organization is again, you'll have happier staff, healthier staff, your your women who are going through it will feel seen valued and that they belong. And that means that they'll be much more likely to tell you what is happening in their world so that you can provide them with the support they need. Whether that is more flexibility around the hours that they work, more flexibility around the times that they work, um, flexibility around what they wear. One of the biggest things that I feel is not mentioned a lot when it comes to dealing with perimenopause is that so many women have to wear a uniform that is polyester. And if you're in a hot place and you have to wear a polyester shirt and you have a hot flush, it is phenomenally unpleasant. So yeah. why? So encourage conversations in your workplaces. I've got some resources yeah. on my website um, that just give you some guidelines around how you can start the conversation. And I'm very happy to come in and talk to you about how you can do that as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. Oh, And we'll pop links to those um, resources. It, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we're so much better in the workplace these days. Maybe it's still not perfect, but better about, you know, supporting parents um, and new parents through the process of that kind of fairly significant life change and yet this one is still so as you say taboo it's just and I know for me it was just not even something I would ever have mentioned to anyone I was working with and even now you know we're all talking about it a bit more I still kind of catch myself sometimes before actually saying anything because I'm like, "Oh, who am I with? Is this the right crowd?" <laughs> um, etc. Oh, but I tell yeah.
1: I tell everyone I was on a stage <laughs> giving a keynote at a big conference and I forgot my words. Yeah, oh, embarrassing. <laughs> Brain fog and short-term memory loss, and I walked over to the lectern, had a sip of water, remembered roughly what I was going to say and made a very bad joke about menno brain and luckily the audience was mostly women who laughed because they'd all been there but it is embarrassing and so yeah. what are we how can we as um organizations and society more broadly make it less embarrassing you know yeah. no one's embarrassed when you break your leg no one's no. embarrassed by cancer no one's embarrassed by well puberty's embarrassing as well but we talk <laughs> about it yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but getting, but getting but, pregnant these days, but, right? Like you, you oh. know, pregnancy and the work, you know, a completely normal yeah. part of life.
1: Oh, I've got friends whose mothers had to quit their jobs when they were pregnant because, yep. you know, not that yeah. many years ago, if you were pregnant, you were not allowed to show yourself at work because having a big stomach with a baby in it was an embarrassment. Now yeah. that was in our lifetimes. So, yeah. um, how do we make, menopause a more acceptable topic of conversation so yep. that it's just not even a thing it, yeah. and the women who need support and you know trans some trans men go through menopause as well so let's not forget them it would be even more yep. confusing for them um and so how do we how do we provide support what do we need yeah. to be doing how do we have conversations in our workplaces to make yeah. people feel that they're not alone because it's a very, I know when I went through perimenopause, it, it was more than 10 years ago. No one talked about it then. And it was really confusing and it was really lonely. And I did not know where to go to get advice because at 10 years ago, there was nothing.
0: Yeah. And I can certainly imagine, you know, the early part of my working life was spent in a very predominantly male dominated industries and businesses so I kind of think to myself gosh you know at least more recently I had large groups of females or women that I was working with so yes it's challenge all round. but you know thank you so much for for, le- for shining the light on this and leading the way for us all to follow so oh, men need I'm just going to add one more thing and say men need to know too yeah. Because
1: if you don't, you know, you might you might not care about it in terms of your colleagues, but I'll bet you that you'll care about it in terms of your wife,
0: yes, or your girlfriend, yeah, yes. or
1: the yeah, women in absolutely. your life who you love.
0: Yes, exactly. So true. Um, so. Um, You've talked a bit about boundaries today, the need to create, communicate and maintain them. You have a boundaries blueprint people can purchase from you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where people can find it?
1: Yeah, thanks. So I have a short course called Your Boundaries Blueprint. It's about I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours of videos. It's a bunch of different modules and it goes through what can you do to create healthy boundaries so that you feel focused and you feel you go from being overwhelmed and stuck to feeling like you are in control of your life um it's you can access it through my website melkettle.com yeah get in touch with me through the the website melkettle.com um and i've also got went menopause i can't speak (laughs) <laughs> I've also got some um menopause resources on there as well, which is Melkettle.com forward slash yep. menopause.
0: Excellent. And we will as I say, we will we'll include all the way. So, thank you so much. But before we wrap today, I would love you to share one practical tip or step or action I know you're all about action to get unstuck but what if someone came to you today and said Mel I'm just feeling really stuck whether it's in their work or their life or you know something but it's you know I guess bigger than just a small stuck what would you tell them?
1: I'd tell them to go and do something that gives them joy because when we're unstuck we feel a bit hopeless and helpless and when you do things that give you joy especially if they make you laugh, then you feel good about yourself, even if it is just for a few minutes. So if you're feeling stuck, think about what do you love to do and go and do that.
0: Oh, great. Great tip. Love that. Okay, so if you'd like to learn more about Mel and her work, you can head to melkettle.com or connect with her or follow her on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'll include all of her contact details along with how to access the Boundaries Blueprint, the Menopause Resources, or enroll in her next round of Thriving Leaders um, in the show notes. Mel as always, it's been so lovely to chat with you today. Thank you so much about for teaching us a bit about boundaries, about um, you know experiencing burnout and how to move on from that and about talking about menopause in the workplace. Thank you and I'll see you soon. Oh thanks so much Helen it's been great to talk to you too. Thank you for joining me on this episode of how to get unstuck with Helen Thomas. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you break free from whatever might be holding you back from creating a life you love. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and share with friends who might need a boost. Your support means the world to me. You can find out more about me at my website, HelenThomas.com.au or connect with me on LinkedIn at Helen L. Thomas or on Instagram at Helen Thomas AU. Remember, feeling stuck is a feeling, not a fact. And the journey to getting unstuck is a shared one. Together we can create unstoppable momentum. Until next week, keep dreaming big, thinking differently and moving forward.